Welcome back to That's Ancient History. I'm your host, Jean Mingus, and today I am joined by a debut author, Alexandra Shepherd, to talk all about her very new, very exciting young adult novel, Oh My Gods. Oh My Gods is set in a fictional modern day in which the Greek gods continue to exist, although they are no longer worshipped by humans. In the novel, we follow his 14-year-old half-mortal daughter, Helen, no, not that Helen, whose Jamaican mother passed away a couple of years ago, meaning she has to move in with her all-powerful King of the Gods dad in North London for the first time. True to the young adult contemporary genre, our protagonist faces the everyday challenges of being a teenager, from new schools to first kisses, with the added ante of eccentric half-siblings like Aphrodite and Apollo, making it difficult to hide her family's secret. Because while characters like Zeus, Aphrodite, Apollo and even Eros have chosen to abandon the tedium of Mount Olympus in favour of living a near-mortal life on Earth, it is vital that they remain incognito. Oh My Gods reimagines the Greek Olympians in a modern context. Although each of the gods depicted in the novel has lived for thousands of years, as one can imagine, their personalities and behaviours have adapted to 21st century London. So we see Aphrodite setting up her beauty YouTube channel, Apollo entering into a musical reality TV show, Athena practising law and Eros off travelling the world spreading love and joy. In contrast with her divine half-siblings and even nephew in the case of Eros, Helen's mortality sets her apart, and Alexandra Shepard's novel offers a fascinating insight into what everyday teenage life would be like if your family were actually the Olympian gods. This book for me was a completely unique spin on the young adult contemporary genre which I absolutely fell in love with. Whether you're a teenager or an adult it will bring a little bit of laughter and joy into your life and is perfect for anybody who has never encountered classics, ancient history or mythology before or is a massive buff. There are layers there for everybody and I was so excited to have the opportunity to interview Alexandra and talk more about the process behind writing this book and her own interest in Greek mythology. So without further ado, let's have a chat with the author. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It's wonderful um, to talk to you uh, after loving your book so much. And I have to say, one of the things I'm always incredibly curious about, um, since the purpose of this podcast is all about accessibility and mm -hmm. sort of um, spreading the love of ancient history, is how people first got introduced to mythology or ancient history and where they first kind of found that passion. And I was curious if, how, when and how you did. Okay, well, thank you for having me, Jean. I'm really excited to be on here. I think I said earlier that this podcast is like a mix of all the things I love, like history and mythology and making yeah. it accessible. So really excited to be on. So um, I guess the first time I was introduced to mythology would have been the very earliest picture books I ever read, yeah. like age four or five. Um, and I think one stuck out in particular, and that was an illustrated story of the myth of Arachne and how mm. she could turn into a spider and where the word. And I just loved the idea, like, okay, it's a really cool, silly story. The gods are so unlike the god I knew from, like, Ari, which was, like, all, all you know, all powerful, all seeing, all merciful. These gods were really petty and passive aggressive and mean, and I loved that. That was so interesting. And then you also had this really cool origin story about the language and why we get the word arachnophobia and why arachne means spider because it came from that myth. Mm -hmm. And it introduced me to the idea that 
the words we use today and the stories we tell all have a root somewhere thousands of years old and I think that has always stuck with me mm. and it's why I've always loved myths whether they're Greek or Chinese or Roman they've always just stuck with me but I feel like Greek um, mythology has never really left Western culture it's mm. so imbued into everything we do today into all contemporary culture whether yeah. it's books or films or plays um, so it's pretty hard to get away from yeah <laughs> but hopefully uh, that's not a bad thing no <laughs> no in the best way possible yeah the, but it's lovely that um, f- f- from that immediate introduction to sort of mythology and ancient history you had that association with it with modern day and kind of um, felt its relevance and felt like a tie between now yeah. and then um, and I I felt like that was something you did so well in the book was um, imagine how the Greek gods would have behaved in the 21st century yeah. uh, what roles they would have taken on what um, mediums and outlets they would have like sort of uh, felt passionate about in, in contrast with antiquity uh, I was I was curious if when as you were sort of growing up, I suppose, reading ancient myths, if that was something you thought about a lot when you were reading about these gods, if you thought, oh, um, Aphrodite would definitely be a beauty YouTuber or something like that. Was that... Absolutely, and I think that's the whole reason why I wanted to write the book was mm. because I loved these characters, I loved how over the top they were, and it's really just the next logical step is to put them in a modern day setting to think about how these qualities, whether it's uh, vanity or love or lust for power translate into a modern day setting. So I was taking the stories that I loved the most and putting them into an environment that would have been really familiar to me as a mm. teenager. So yeah, um, in early drafts of the books, I started the book when I was 20, so a long time ago. It had like references to TV shows that don't long, no longer yeah. exist. But Aphrodite was a TV chef because she reminded me so much of Nigella Lawson. Ah. So, and then I had to update it for the modern day when I actually got, you know, yeah. started writing it properly. But you can pick any point in history and put these gods there and imagine how they would have lived mm. and what role they would have taken on because their qualities are universal. Mm. That's incredible actually to hear you talk about the early stages of writing it that Aphrodite had um, a role relevant to like that year and then that yeah. can easily just change into just as like technology changes and exactly. people change. It's wonderful. Um, I had like I have to say, I was curious because this is something I think I would find um, really hard if I was writing a book about Greek mythology would be sort of picking what gods to include and we got so much detail about Apollo and Aphrodite and Eros and Zeus and even a few like brief appearances of like Hades and Hermes and I was curious if there was any gods that just because of the story and the length you didn't get a chance to include but would have loved to. Definitely, so we had to really narrow down the cast a little mm-hmm. bit and with, as the story changed a few of the gods got cut out. Um, Athena is in there but she had a much bigger role in earlier ah. drafts as sort of like an advisor or mentor figure to Helen mm-hmm. as the sensible one. Um, the Fates also made an appearance at a house party in Mount Olympus but we got rid of that scene because wow. it wasn't quite working where the story went but that was fun to include there. Yeah. And there, yeah, yeah, there were a few more references to other half-mortals like mm. um, her Hercules and Achilles and stuff like that but again you couldn't keep everything in so <laughs> I think I chose Aphrodite because I felt like she would be like, like the worst 
the ultimate awful big sister. Yeah. Um, and Apollo was really compelling because of his musical history. Mm. Eros seems like Helen needed an ally, so I yeah. had to put Eros in there to be that one who was a bit more empathetic mm. and understanding of Helen's experience as a half-mortal teenager. Yeah, Eros is actually one of my favourite gods, and I was so pleased oh. to see him included. Um, I, 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 he was one of like the central themes to my undergraduate dissertation, but Amazing. I was having my big soft spot for Eros, and I really liked the way you depicted Eros in the book. I oh, thought so that was so lovely. Obviously, one of the nice things about a book like yours is you can read it if you already know about Greek mythology and appreciate all of those layers, or you can know nothing about Greek mythology and go into it, enjoy an excellent book, and then perhaps be inspired to read more about Greek mythology. Um, were you hoping when people were reading the book that they would make an association between your Helen and the sort of ancient Helen, or are they very separate? They're very separate, and actually this is something my editor talked about with me when we started editing, and they said, oh, would you consider changing Helen's name because most pe lots of people may think Helen of Troy mm -hmm. and make that reference automatic, but by that point I was so tied to Helen as her name, yeah. I was like, no. That's who <laughs> she, she was. Has to stay. <laughs> and I think it makes sense that she has a vaguely Hellenic Greek name, yeah. um, but one that isn't too um, old school. Yeah. It's a slightly subtle reference to her heritage yeah. given by her parents. Yeah, but like, no, there's no reference between her and Helen of Troy. Yeah. No, I mean, and I didn't feel that there, pers yeah. there wasn't any real like embedded intertext there. I was just curious about the name. Um, yeah, probably easier than turning up to school with a name like Ariadne or exactly. something. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, something else I thought when I was reading it was it felt like you as an author had made a conscious decision with Helen as a half-mortal not possessing any sort of divine powers in contrast with someone like Hercules who has this super strength and I was wondering about your thinking process behind that. Yeah, so I never set out to write a fantasy novel. Mm -hmm. I liked the twist of supernatural, I like the twist of otherworldliness that the gods provide, but I didn't want to write another Percy Jackson, yeah. I didn't want to do an adventure or something where lots of magic and powers and there, there's some in the books, I think that's what makes it fun, but it's very much a story about everyday teenage woes, but that, that get magnified when yeah. your parents and instigators in your family are gods. <laughs> So it was very much, and also I think, it's something I did think about for a long time, but whenever I tried to think of a power, it just didn't work, mm -hmm. it didn't seem right. I think um, that is part of Helen's journey, is coming to terms with the fact that she doesn't have powers, mm -hmm. even though she's surrounded by family people who do, and she's fine without that. Yeah, there do, she do, she never seems to um, articulate any like despondency over not having any powers, and I th that makes her more relatable, I guess. As yeah, well, exactly. As a, as a protagonist. So, uh, talking about Helen as a relatable protagonist, um, I felt like, and we've already probably touched on this, your sort of um, ability to like relate modern and ancient themes, and I was wondering. Um, if there were any in particular, any sort of like feelings or experiences that you just felt really had continued from your reading of myths to now um, that you kind of wanted to bring forth in the book? Oh, um, yeah, I think what I love the most about myths growing up was the characters mm -hmm. and how awful they were. Yeah. I, was like, I grew up in church, I read the Bible, yeah. I knew about like the key Bible stories and the figures there are so much more... Um, moral, there's always a lesson and I liked that 
Myths do have lessons, of course, but um, the characters involved in it and the gods seem to be above reproach, mm. despite the fact that they seemed like they were worse than anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I wanted to bring that feeling of never knowing where they were going to take things next, mm-hmm. um, being kind of dis- not disappointed, maybe that feeling of I can't believe they just did this and knowing that they're going to not face any yeah. consequences for their actions. Um, I think it's a feeling of the gods meddling with humans Mm -hmm. in a way that's capricious and petty but has huge consequences for people on earth Um, but they're just like whatever (laughs) it's another day what's a day to us what's a a mortal life to us so that feeling of the gods not caring how they meddle with the lives of humans yeah I think that's something that probably struck me as well when I first started reading Greek mythology was how sort of human almost the gods emotions are um and with setting your book on earth you kind of did introduce ramifications for their actions they had to live a like somewhat mortal life um, which was really interesting to read um i don't know if there is any um like intention to sort of show how similar in a way the greek gods are to humans yeah definitely i think they are. I wanted to definitely bring out those similarities, but for the bad sides, mm. the pettiness, the yeah. vanity, stuff like that, and how susceptible they are to things like um, ego massaging and the need for adoration, the need to be the centre of attention. Um, but those qualities get magnified somewhat when you have powers and yeah. you have powers at your disposal. Yeah. And I think putting them in a situation where they're unable to use their powers in order to stay on Earth made for a really fun conflict to write about. Mm. They did, I felt as well, by the end of the book, have like a bit of a redemption arc as well. There was some oh, like... Definitely. Yeah. They're not completely awful. I no. think it would be very not nice for Helen if her entire <laughs> family were total <laughs> like, maniacs. But um, yeah, they do have... They do come together a bit, I think. Yeah, say that without spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, the, it's not it's not a tragedy book. So we can not. we can sell yeah. that. Um, not like some of the Greek myths. <laughs> yeah, and oh my god, some of the like referencing some of the Greek myths, I had to really tone down Zeus because Zeus does not have a good, as you know, a good no. track record. So I tried to make him a bit more of a dorky relatable dad figure yeah and he's really you know had toned down over the centuries he's yeah this, and i think parenting parenting helen is his way of redeeming himself all the poor parenting decisions he made yeah. in the past. yeah and it's interesting actually just to even um like think about how gods like the greek gods would have changed over the millennia with all of the changes mm. in the human world and how that would have affected them and i feel like you did a you know when it's one of those books where you read it and you think well obviously this isn't real but it's believable oh, it works I felt like yes this does make sense I feel like yeah the gods could have acted like this in the 21st century and been changed by modern inventions yeah, and things they're, like they're that not just, they're completely susceptible to the times changing like mm. everyone else especially if they're going to insist on staying on earth yeah so I didn't feel like the ending of the book in any way felt like a cliffhanger but I was curious if you planned on writing any books set in this world uh I think I'd like to. Um, I wrote the book intending it to be a standalone book, Mm -hmm. but there's definitely more material there and Mm. there's so many ways in which we could take it. So if it it does end up that we do end up writing a sequel, that would be great. If not, then um, I'll leave Helen for a little while and 
No, it doesn't feel dissatisfying in any yeah. way. It feels like a very satisfactory ending. There's um, other ways you could definitely take it. Yeah. Early readers have said to me, like, oh, what's the sequel going... If there's going to be a sequel, what's it going to be like? Yeah. Where... And they have all these ideas that are amazing. That <laughs> <laughs> um, just goes to show how many different ways you could take the story. Absolutely. Um, no, it was, it was honestly a really wonderful reading experience. I'm curious if there's any sort of, when you were growing up, when you were a teenager and even now as an adult, if there's been any sort of Greek or Roman myth retellings that have really stuck with you in a way that you hope your book will stick with its readers. Oh, wow. Um... It's for adults, but I really, really adored um, Circe by Madeline mm, Miller. Like yeah. that was my book of the year last year. Yeah. I, I thought it was just outstanding, and I can't wait to read it again once I've forgotten the plot a bit more. Yeah. Um, that's a very different type of story, I think, mm. because it's a retelling, and but with modern sensibilities applied to it. So given a bit more of a feminist take, which is something that Greek myths just do not have. Like mm-hmm. women are pretty much non-existent in Greek myths. <laughs> Um, or voiceless rather rather than non-existent I think Um, so seeing that would be reading that was amazing Um, Hercules Disney movie was just Megara I adored the the gospel singing uh, muses just I loved Um, I remember seeing that in a school trip when I was in year four year five and it just I think I took my dad had to take me to see it again I loved it that much Um, so if my book sticks with people like that, um, in the way that it stuck with me, I would be extremely pleased. Oh, I'm sure it will. Um, in fact, actually, just like thinking about Disney's Hercules, for all of Disney's flaws, one of the things I loved about Disney's Hercules when I was a kid was that sort of blending of what feels like almost very separate cultures with the sort of like gospel music and then the classics Mm -hmm. and the Greek mythology, and I thought that was fantastic, and I felt, in fact, actually, that's something that your book does, it kind of like, um... You've got like London, you've got this mixed race character, mm-hmm. you've got so many different layers um, and, and kind of showing how these things can all like blend together. I was wondering sort of, yeah, actually what your sort of like motivation was behind that. Yeah, I think um, I've said this before, but writing this book was really selfish because I just wanted to write the book that I would have loved to have mm. read as a teenager. So that meant setting it in my neighbourhood, it meant giving it a protagonist that looked like me, mm-hmm. that had my cultural experiences because Helen's half Jamaican and yeah. I'm Jamaican. Um, and it meant just bringing in all the things that I knew and I didn't get the chance to really read about and making my own book of that. Yeah. So yeah, it's just, it. I couldn't have done anything different. Yeah, no, and it it works perfectly. Cause Thank you. It, I feel like it very much, <laughs> as depressing it is to say, I feel like as somebody that studies classics, there's definitely a historical association between classics and these sort of like upper class wealthy white man. And Absolutely, yeah. it's wonderful in the 21st century to see the kind of like expanding of um, like mythology and Greek mythology and different people interpreting it in their own ways and like showing that it belongs to all of us mm. and I, that was one of my favourite things about the book. Yeah I think you're completely right like it's so part of the western canon mm. like it's unavoidable but it's so funny you should say that because I remember posting the book on my LinkedIn a few months ago mm. and this dude I've never met before <laughs> got really annoyed and accused me of cultural appropriation because there's no way that someone who is half Greek could also be half black and I didn't. I just ignored him. But it was so interesting that like this this guy, this one guy shaking yeah. his fist in the sky, was so annoyed um, because I never really considered that I could never write about this or that yeah. it was like 
it's a shared cultural experience. Yeah. Well. I grew up in Britain, so that's it. it's the only one guy. Everyone else has been lovely about yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> that's wonderful. I feel like you, your book's probably introducing new people to um, classics and making them feel like it's yeah. a world that they can get into and um, be a part of, which is really like all yeah, I these stories want. are amazing, and they and they do make up so much of the 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 culture that we consume even mm. if you don't realize it yeah like nike's got its victory yes. I'm, I'm gonna mention that on my school visit amazing <laughs> I'm sure kids yes. won't know that and they'd love to know that and i feel like you're almost locked out of engaging with western culture if you don't know these mm. these stories or yeah. the origin of these words and that's a real shame yeah and actually in saying that i don't know what your experience was but my experience of school was um, very lacking in any ancient history that like it didn't ever come up in like my state school in Scotland. <laughs> yeah, well, like I feel like it was something we did up, up until year four or okay. something, and then past secondary school, it's very yeah. much like modern history. Yeah. It's like, I, and actually, wanted to do my A level um, essay. We could choose to do it on any part of history we wanted, and I wanted to do it on ancient Egypt. Mm-hmm. And my history teacher basically discouraged me. He was like, "Look, you'll just get more marks if you do it." do something from the last 150 years and he was completely right yeah that's where the books were that's where there was more debate and yeah. more um material so i ended up doing it on stalin's russia which is not as exciting yeah well i'm like it's exciting to know that you'll be out talking to some kids there yeah that's like, i'm most so excited about talking to kids about yeah that. i cannot wait yeah no it's wonderful oh i'm sure they're gonna love it i could just i just get all these feelings about how much i would have enjoyed that when oh. i was it's like the dream Um, something I always ask everybody to do on the podcast which I have kind of touched upon already when we talked about Circe and Hercules is that I like my guests to sort of pick a book apart from their own book which of course I would encourage everyone to go and check out Um, but I'm sure everyone's convinced by the end of this episode but perhaps there's another book um, if it's a non-fiction book or an ancient book or a modern retelling or do you want it can be any book to be perfectly honest it could be a contemporary teenage um coming of age story because that would be relevant to the topics of the podcast but i always like um everyone listening to sort of come away with an extra book that they want to check out based on the interviewee's recommendation oh wow um well i think i'm gonna recommend something that is so what inspired oh my gods apart from greek myths yeah. was also those coming of age teen stories mm. often diaries mm-hmm. where the world is falling apart they're funny they're relatable and they're just a joy to read and especially when you're no longer a teenager because you feel like oh i remember how that feels yeah. and i'm so glad that part of my life is over <laughs> uh, so i guess it'd be one of my favorite books which is i capture the castle by yes. Dodie smith which was it was a diary mm-hmm. um written by 17 year old Cassandra Mortmain and even though I think it was written oh my god I can't even remember was it the 30s or 20s or that's when it's set it's set in the 20s I don't know if it was written much later but um it is very much an eccentric family it is a diary it mm-hmm. is love and first love and all these new experiences that you're feeling for the first time but that feel like no one else in the world yeah. has ever experienced them and I think um, Cassandra's distinctive voice definitely inspired um, Helen's for sure wow, that's wonderful it's lovely to hear about um, some inspiration behind the book that isn't just classical and isn't just um, from mythology it sort of shows how those things can blend together and again mm. brings those sort of ever relatable themes together oh yeah so actually Actually, 
one other thing I was thinking about a lot when I was reading the book, and since you bring up the topic of um, diary writing, was um, this is like in lots of ways a very fun, like hearty, like joyous book to read. Mm. Um, but obviously there is like that those moments in between the chapters where Helen is writing these letters to her her mum that's passed away, um, and I thought that was all handled so sensitively and authentically. Um, and I just wondered a little bit about the writing process behind writing those letters. Yeah. Um so those letters came in relatively new. So mm-hmm. when I first started writing the book, it was a diary, mm-hmm. and then that format had to change because it just wasn't working. Um, and I guess I still wanted a way for Helen to, for the readers to know that Helen was still connected to her mother, mm-hmm. and also to get across Helen's loneliness at being in this family. Not only is she missing her mum, who's mm-hmm. been dead for four years, but she's also missing that connection to someone who is totally human mm-hmm. um, and I thought writing a letter um, periodically as a narrative device it's handy because you get to see a different part of Helen mm-hmm. and her thoughts but you also get to see her at her more vulnerable when she isn't like being sarcastic and annoyed yeah. at her parents you get see, at, her, at Zeus for example or big sister Aphrodite you get to see her innermost fears in mm-hmm. a way that you might not see throughout the rest of the book mm. um, but yeah I'm really glad that worked because I was um, nervous that it wouldn't I no absolutely as well. I thought it, it fitted in perfectly just sort of like um, like added a new layer to the, yeah. to the story which was really nice um, but I can see where the intention to write in a diary format came in in that case because you do get very much to see her vulnerable side through those letters which is really nice actually um but i mean as i'm sure has come across already in this podcast i very much enjoyed reading the book i get the impression you very much enjoyed writing the I book. i did yeah <laughs> um and i would highly encourage everyone that has listened to this podcast and hasn't yet checked out oh my gods to pick up a copy because honestly it would just put a smile on your face whether thank you so much <laughs> thank you for writing the book i was like why don't thank me <laughs> um it's wonderful um honestly just like would have loved it when i was a teenager and have loved it as an adult so um, very timeless indeed. Um, thank you for joining me though. Thank you for having me, Jean. It's been so much fun. Oh, good, good. <laughs> thank you.